Hello again, everyone. Uh, this is Rob Danish. I'm a professor of communication studies at the University of Waterloo, and you're listening to Now We're Talking, a podcast about communication skills. And uh, welcome to episode 46. Today, uh, I get to talk about fascism. Very, very exciting. If you haven't noticed or haven't been paying attention to the news, fascism is once again on the rise in Western culture. Uh, so today's episode is devoted to uh, what I'll call a conversation about why fascists are persuasive or how fascists are persuasive, uh, or you might call it why we'll never get rid of fascism ever. Uh, we're stuck. We're, we're going to be stuck on repeat as human civilization uh, with creeping forms of fascism every once in a while. Uh, and that's because it's, it's, it's structure as a, as a communication phenomenon is repeatable and really, really effective. Okay. So, um, what makes fascists so uh, so persuasive or so effective? All fascism is based on or organized around the same kind of communicative narrative or communication narrative or what we may call a public narrative. What I call it in my in my book, um, what effect have I had a public narrative, and. The reason it's so persuasive is that the public narrative is very clear and speaks directly to um, the emotional predisposition of an audience. It affects that center of the audience. And then all other, other evidence is interpreted in the light of the narrative and the values that that narrative kind of upholds or advances. So, and it's, it's really, really easy. It's super, it's a super simple narrative. And the narrative is, is goes something like this. There was a time in the past where things were great. So Donald Trump's make America great again is in and of itself a fascist slogan. Uh, all of his policies are fascist, but, and he is a fascist, but at its core uh, of all forms of fascism and including the Nazis in Germany, there was this moment in the past where things were really great and better. But something happened to that moment. And the thing that happens to that moment creates um, a dramatic tension with heroes and villains, with enemies and good guys. And in the case of uh, Donald Trump, at least, Trump's fascism, what happened is that a bunch of brown people, Latinos uh, especially, and African-Americans have kind of uh, come into the country. And, and Trump has been brilliant about um, using immigration to advance his, his form of fascism. But essentially, America was really, really great in the past, which is code for it was white in the past. And then a bunch of brown people came in and messed everything all up. And we, so of course, what has to happen in order to resolve the dramatic tension? Well, the heroes or the villains have to rise up, take power, and prevent the, sorry, the heroes have to rise up and take power and prevent the villains from continuing to corrupt the thing that they're, that, that was so great in the past. So the narrative structure is incredibly simple. It's, there was a moment in the past that was terrific, 
that got messed up by some bad people. We have to return to that, that moment, and we return to that moment by defeating these bad people. And that is the narrative of all forms of fascism over and over and over again. Um, and I think I, I was saying in episode 45, and this is why I wanted episode 46 to be about the persuasiveness of, of fascism, uh, the reason the Democratic Party will never or, or will not win or continue to struggle to win elections is because they have no narrative and that narrative doesn't speak to values. So and, and in an episode earlier, much earlier, I was talking about why messages, uh, why you start with why, because why tar and, and why talking about values is so important or why talking about narratives is so important, because it targets the, a location in the brain that biases your reasoning after after the fact. So. Um, fascist rhetoric also targets that that center of the brain that will bias your reasoning. And the narrative kind of emotionally predisposes you to interpret facts differently. So, you know, right now the Democratic Party wants to say, uh, well, we're for Medicare for all. We want good health care for everyone. It's not a narrative. It's, it's a policy position. And it's a perfectly fine policy position, but that policy position is up against, up against a fascist narrative that says that America was great a long time ago. It got messed up by brown people, and Donald Trump's the only person that can return it to, to what it was. That message targets an entirely different location in the brain than Medicare for all is good policy. So um, it works at an entirely different register. And frankly, for... Um, modern liberal democracy or modern liberal social democracy to work effectively, um, it needs a narrative to counteract the narrative of fascism, or it won't be persuasive to large numbers of people. It doesn't just need policy, in other words, but it's much, much, much harder for uh, liberal Democrats to come up with a narrative about human progress um, or the fate of human civilization with heroes and villains and it's especially uh, more difficult because they don't have such an easy plot structure. So the, the plot structure for the fascist is like handed over ready-made that there was a point in the past that was great. That point got messed up. We're at a new moment of crisis where we have to return to that previous point and stop the villains who have been messing it up. Uh, that ready-made simple narrative or plot structure is incredibly, incredibly powerful. And by targeting the region of the brain um, that, that the, the neocortex that kind of processes emotions and biases reasoning of uh, followers, it, you know, it, it works more effectively than an appeal, a simple rational appeal to a really good policy initiative. Um, so the question or the challenge, you see, okay, so the, it was easier um, it's, it was easier in other parts of um, world history for the forces of anti-fascism or the first forces working against fascism to start to cobble together a narrative about who they were fighting. And so um, one of the ways they cobbled that narrative together is to say we're fighting fascists, which gave rise to the Western global alliances of, the, of NATO, etc., uh, the UN, the, the very things that Donald Trump are, is trying to trying to dismantle. Um, so, if the Democratic Party or if liberal democracies are to return power and to prevent the kind of rise of fascism again, 
they need, but they need some sort of new narrative because there's no, um, it becomes harder and harder and harder to identify who the villains are when you're just advocating policy. And it, to, it becomes harder and harder and harder to identify a plot structure that implicates an audience when you're just talking about Medicare for all. Like I said in the last episode, Bernie Sanders comes closest to this because the enemies in, San in Sanders' case are corporations. And if Sanders were to run for president, he would have the best shot because he's got he's got a narrative at least with a plot structure and with uh, enemies and heroes in it. Um, and so for most of the 20th century, the truth is that Bernie Sanders' plot structure as the countervailing force to the plot structure of fascism has been the best available option. Uh, when social democracies and particularly kind of uh, leftist forms of socialism have risen in the West, they've done so on the back of the kind of narrative that Bernie Sanders is advancing. And the trouble with the middle or, or moderates or more moderate Democrats, more moderate Republicans, is that they just don't have the narrative resources to craft together a plot with enemies and, and heroes that could do work anywhere near at the level of Trump's fascist, Trump's form of fascism, or Bernie Sanders' form of uh, social democracy or anti-corporatism, if, if you want to call it that. Um, because the, the moderate liberals, they want to think that everything is a technocratic uh, policy solution. They want to believe in rational policy solutions, and they want to believe that rational policy solutions can be persuasive. But they're wrong. Fascism's not going to go anywhere, and fascism's never going to stop being persuasive because it always already has a plot structure a very simplistic plot structure with heroes and villains and a moment in the past that was perfect that we needed to return to and get over the kind of um, tensions or discrepancies or problems in the current moment. So um, fascism is persuasive because of its narrative structure and because of the presence of, of villains and heroes inside that narrative structure. And all and whenever fascism is confronted by rational policy choices or, or, or alternatives, fascism will win. So if the Democratic Party wants to counter Trump's fascist rhetoric with policy alternatives, they will lose. That I am certain of. So when Donald Trump, um, I mean, it's a very, very dangerous time right now in uh, world history because Trump is so clearly a proto-fascist that if the U.S., in the U.S. in two weeks, if uh, the Democrats don't fail to take control of the House uh, and or the Senate, it will further legitimize his fascist policies and there, he will not be held accountable by anyone or anything. And I see no way for the Democrats to win a presidential election they had two years, two years from now. And we'll be in a similar situation that Germany was in when the, the kind of conservative Republican sort of version of the party started appeasing Hitler. Um, and the only way to transform uh, those circumstances is for the left or the Democratic Party to have a genuine narrative with a plot structure and with heroes and villains that speaks directly to the values of the American population. Because um, without that, they, they simply won't be persuasive. It's also an indication of uh, why fascism will never go away. So let's say uh, everything works out swimmingly. The Democrats take control of the House and the Senate. Uh, Trump is impeached. And things go back to normal in America. They well, normal. They Americans start passing genuine policy like 
healthcare bills and things other than just tax cuts. They start working on actual problems and they have a successful functioning government. Uh, well, that's all well and good. Uh, years from now, someone else will come along and identify the basic narrative structure of fascism, employ it rhetorically with large crowds, persuade a whole bunch of people. Why will that happen? Because narrative always trumps reason and uh, messages that target values or explain why instead of how or what always are more persuasive than messages that start with how or what and talk about values second. And fascism gives us the most elementary or simplistic plot structure. So the, the other part, the other really elementary or simplistic part of the plot structure of fascism, I, I don't think I've um, explained this well enough, but when there are heroes and villains, that requires um, a rhetoric of division. So it requires us to identify um, a bunch of people that are not us and that are hostile to us. And one of the ways this works rhetorically is it thickens or strengthens the bonds between the people who are the us or are who, who or who are the heroes. So the the uh, rhetoric by division inside the narrative has the added bonus of strengthening the ties that bind two people to one another inside the narrative. So we begin to feel more strongly that we're like other people um, that also believe in that narrative. And it becomes increasingly difficult to see the others on the other side, the villains, as anything other than villains. So, um, you know, we can get, uh, there's a more sophisticated analysis to be done of this and how Trump's fascism is a little bit different because the press are identified as one of the enemies of, of the people. And the fact that the press are the enemies of the people allows Trump to call himself a Democrat and discount facts, et cetera. But really at, at the core, all that really matters is the production of a division because the division strengthens the emotional ties that the people on the one side of the division feel about them to, toward one another and their hostility toward those on the other side. So all we know about Trump supporters, and if you watch a Trump rally, it looks exactly like a fascist rally. People are really emotionally charged up and they're able to articulate their hatred toward the villains in the story, which in this case are the press and the Democrats and Latinos, etc. cetera. Uh, there are lots of villains in Trump's fascism. Um, and, and they feel this greater sense of affinity to one another and they feel that they need to fight for one another more strongly then because they're under attack by the media or by Democrats or by whoever. So the narrative constructs uh, an us versus them or through a rhetoric of, of division, it, it constructs a plot with opposing forces. And the only reconciliation, of course, whenever we're inside a narrative, we need an ending to the narrative. All stories need an ending. And the, once you're, you're inside a fascist narrative, the only ending is when there's when, when one side in the debates, the enemies are defeated. So we must defeat the, the free press and the forces of, of the Democrats, and then we'll be victorious is the form of the fascist rhetoric. Um, so fascist rhetoric is uh, powerful or persuasive because it has a plot, a narrative structure with a plot that's very simplistic. And because it constructed, constructs this binary of us versus them and thickens the bonds between um, people on one side and and strengthens the opposition between uh, the people on one side and people on, on the other. Um, and for the Democratic Party to ever, uh, to ever ascend to power again broadly, it would need some sort of 
counter narrative. It needs some sort of plot structure. It needs an us and a them, and it needs heroes and villains, and it needs to speak directly to those things. It needs to craft a communication strategy that speaks directly to those things. Without that, fascism will triumph, um, and then the cycle of history will repeat. It will be defeated eventually, and then it will come back again uh, 60 or 70 years years later. It's, it was only the 1930s when, the, when we last saw the rise of fascism, so it's barely been, barely been 100 years. But that as a communication strategy, the structure of it won't ever go away. And that's why fascists are persuasive, and that's why Donald Trump is, is persuasive as well. Um, okay, thanks everyone for listening to episode 46 of Now We're Talking. Um, I'm going to keep talking about leadership and persuasion in the next couple of episodes, but hopefully we'll get away from fascism and we'll talk about um, some more direct or specific forms of persuasive communication. Thanks, everyone.